America has a very distinct smell that nobody talks about. Can you describe it? It's detergent and carpeting. <laughs> That's what it is. All I think of in my childhood is carpet. Yeah, but colleges, airports, any public spaces smell like carpeting in America. Yeah. What the hell's going on? <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back to Working It Out. That is the voice of Veer Das, a comedian who I think is just fantastic. I, I was introduced to his work uh, through a mutual friend of ours, Zarna Garg, who sometimes tours with him and has, Zarna has been on the podcast here, comedian who I, I love, a friend of mine. And she introduced me to Veer and I dug into all his Netflix specials. He has a bunch of Netflix specials. He has a new Netflix special called Landing, which is fantastic. Um, he, he, it's an interesting story, very one of a kind. He, he made news a couple years ago when he performed a monologue called Two Indias. Um, and it was, it was sort of controversial. It sort of straddled the line between comedy and uh, poetry and speech. And, and um, uh, I'm always fascinated by people who sort of uh, go into, first of, all, first of all, like hard truths about things, which he does, and two, uh, who break break the form of stand-up comedy and, and use it in unique ways, and Two Indias does that so well. We, we dig into that today. By the way, thanks for all the positive feedback about the podcast. Uh, a lot of people have said nice things on, on Apple Podcasts and uh, written little things about their favorite episodes. People have been giving me, uh, you know, writing comments on Instagram about the Mark Forrester episode and the Ryan Hamilton episode, the Zarna Garg episode. This is another great episode. Um, if you're able to, to, uh, to write a little thing, on Apple Podcasts, we appreciate it. It goes a long way. We here at Working It Out are thrilled when you express your uh, your recommendation because because more people find the show and we, we put our hearts and souls into the show. If you happen to live near Mesa, Arizona, or really any part of Arizona, or really any part of anywhere near there, uh, I'll be at uh, I'll be at the Mesa Arts Center March 16th, which is a gorgeous, gorgeous theater, one of my favorite in the country, and I'll be at uh, in Salt Lake City. Kingsbury Hall, March 17th, another one. Gorgeous, gorgeous theater. All of this, sign up for the mailing list on burbigs.com because I'm going to be announcing some uh, new material, working it out, dates coming up soon. The mailing list it will be where you are the first to know about those shows because they're small and they will probably sell out. So I will, if you want to go to that and then sign up for the thing. Anyway. Um, I think you're going to love this Veer Das episode. It's a very, uh, it's an interesting conversation about controversy and comedy and where's the line and, and, and doing comedy internationally and sort of how, how things uh, change from city to city, country to country. And I just think you're going to love it. Enjoy my conversation with the great Veer Das. You're the greatest example who I know now personally <laughs> of someone who was actually canceled. Yeah. And because if the word cancel is thrown around a lot. Yeah. So what happened to you is that people in India yeah. saw a piece that you did called yeah. Two Indias. Yeah. And they went into a police station and filed a, a, a criminal complaint, a complaint against yeah. you. Yeah. <laughs> which is wild. And yeah. then 
you did you go to court? No. Okay. Uh, and the police uh, after a period of time were just like, no, we're not going to. We have better things to do. Sure. <laughs> you know, as, yeah. Because we're the police. But um, I think I put out this video and. It was one of many YouTube videos in yeah. that vein that, that I've done before. And it's weird how you don't get to predict what creates a conversation ever as an no. artist. You have, you have no idea. And so three days of big love, you know, it went well. Yeah. And then I think we all have the angry news channel in our, in yeah. our country and we have one too. And they picked it up. Yeah. And they took a couple of bits of it and put it out. Let to angry people. Angry people let to angry complaints. You know, and then you have this journey where... If you, you're ever at the center of like a, a headline storm yeah. or a news storm, you feel like you're the center of the universe. Yeah, you right. really do. Yeah. And it takes a little bit of character to buckle down and stay silent in that. When you, all you want to do is explain, I never meant to hurt anyone or, I, uh, you know, uh, or to engage with people who, to say, I'm sorry you're hurt or to say, no, this is what I meant. And then you kind of discover that that's not your honor. You know, it's their honor to cre critique your work. And you kind of have to take your feedback head down, mouth shut. And that's what it means to be an artist, right? right? Yeah, yeah, sure. You don't get to choose when content becomes controversy, right? But you can choose whether controversy becomes your content. Yeah. You know, and so I was like, okay, this has happened. And if I cannot pivot this towards something that brings people joy, yeah. I failed, you know? And, and I think that's really the job that we have. Yeah. Right? If you can't have a sense of humor about your stumbles, ain't nobody going to have a sense of humor about your stumbles. So I just had to work really hard for that pivot. I'm like, can I use this drama to give people joy? Then I remember just watching a Chris Rock uh, clip where I think he had just gone through the Oscars thing. And, oh, and he, yeah. you know, he put out a statement just saying, my statement is if you want to hear me talk about it, watch my comedy special. Yeah. And I was like, oh, that's, that's what I have to do now. I have to shut up. I have to keep my head down. And the first thing I have to do is write a joke about this. And it's a, it's a strange puzzle to solve because you're like, okay, how can I write the joke? Because the first time I go out on stage, they're going to be thinking it. Yeah. I will have to talk about it. Yeah. When do I talk about it? And can I write a joke that will make both sides laugh and not lionize me or victimize me? So... The first thing I wrote was, I think it was like March, and this happened in November. So I just went underground for two months. It was, uh, I was on the homepage of the BBC. And there was a big headline that said, Comedian Polarizes the Nation on the BBC. Do you know how badly you have to fuck up before the British say that you divided India? It's an amazing joke. Right? So now both people are laughing. Yeah. We've addressed the fuck up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? And... <laughs> We've added a little bit of British hatred, which doesn't hurt, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it they can gets take you. a punch. They can take a punch. And uh, I'm like, okay, maybe this, and, and, and I'm not a victim or a hero in this joke, you know? So maybe this is the tone that I get to set for the special. Yeah. So that's been uh, maybe the central theme, but also that if you can buckle down during the hatred, you'll find that love finds you. It's always around the corner. You know, yeah, wait, that, wait that, for it. That was a, that was a really powerful thing that you said during the uh, during your recent special, which is on Netflix, which is that hatred is louder than love. Yeah, hate is yelled, oh, but love is felt. That's so that's so true, isn't it? Though, yeah. But love lasts longer, man. Love lasts longer. You know, you just have to. If you can find a way to, I'm not saying block out the hatred, hear it and let it affect you because right. you're an artist, you're a human being. But trust that love is right around the corner. And I think a lot of artists will, 
hear the hatred and harden and not make it round the corner, you know? Yeah, I think that that's, that's one of the things that's so confusing, I think, in our, in our culture right now. There's a sense where people are like, you can't say anything anymore. I was talking to this guy in Nashville, Tennessee. Mm-hmm. I didn't know him, but he goes, what do you do for a living? And I go, I'm a comedian. He goes, you can't say anything anymore. And I go, you can. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can. You can. And then yeah. I, I start talking to him about Lenny Bruce. And mm-hmm. I go, you know, Lenny Bruce got arrested for uh, speaking negatively about the government and yeah. religion and all these body things. And he was arrested. And and I said to this guy, I go, uh, you know, if, if comedians start getting arrested, I will be concerned. Very, yeah. very concerned. Yeah. But you're an actual case of you weren't arrested, but you could have been. I could have been, yeah, but... It's, did, did you fear that you would have been? I come from possibly the best privilege that you can come from. Oh, is that right? And I have to be cognizant of that. You know, uh, I'm a Hindu heterosexual male in right. India. It's pretty much like straight white man in, in the US. You know, right. things are... And I've, I've been in Bollywood. I have a cushion. I have a legal team, etc. There are certainly comedians who... Um, are less successful or, or from different religions who have had much tougher legal situation and had to deal with it. I was never worried that I would be. Um, and the biggest worry was never that. The biggest worry was always, I think I let people down. Oh, I think that that impacted me far more than anything else. It's not been, I've been in the film industry and you know, all of that stuff for 15 years. So I've had a controversy or two. Yeah. You know, so I do know how to roll with, with that part of it. But the biggest thing was, uh, uh, man, I think I let people down. Yeah. And I'd always prided myself on being the guy where irrespective of how you felt like thing uh, about ideology, I would make you feel welcome enough where we would disagree about yeah. it but laugh about it under the same roof. And I'm like, did I drop the ball? And so, you know. Like that you shamed the country? No, I, I think that to me, any feedback is good feedback. Right. right? As, as long as it doesn't um, uh, turn into hatred or threats, right? And and to me, I don't think anybody who watches that video will doubt my love for my country. No. You know, it's. But what the, is it, what was the fear? What the, was the actual fear? There was no fear. Uh, okay. it, it was just a, a sense of guilt. You know, you feel guilty that some you, you maybe hurt somebody's feelings or something like that. And yeah, you want to make sure that your family is okay. So right. you're like, okay, you guys didn't sign up for this crazy journey. So are you guys all right? So I was just focusing on that. And I think you're worried about like, I hope they'll be open to my next joke. Right. When, when you did, you have like an odd... A journey to becoming a stand-up comedy star yeah. because it seems like you started out as a comic, yeah. then pivoted into acting yeah. in Hollywood, yeah. and blew up in that space, and then sort of doubled down on stand-up, and that's when you sort of had more stardom in that. That space. is a very flattering way to put it. <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you the truth. Okay, uh, okay. I got into stand-up, snuck into Bollywood, uh, was a part of two really big movies. Right, so like oh, the, right? the the second lead in in like a really big in two really big big movies. Yeah, started getting leads. Did two or three really good movies, and then did like seven gigantic piles of shit. Uh, oh wow! And then uh, I did one really big one that crashed and burned, and I think it was the most amount of money that had ever been bet on. Oh my god, really? For a Friday? Wow! Right, so, and I I couldn't make the the release. Right, so I I, I didn't bring in the people. 
and the phone kind of went cold for a while yeah. you know and at that point there was an american agency in town and they were like we saw you on youtube let us sign you come to la take Ye- meetings yeah. and i was like alright uh, and i ended up doing a spot at the laugh factory in the improv yeah this is 2015 yeah. ish i fell in love man oh no like, kidding i had like a visceral moment i think i followed like whitney or somebody on yeah. stage i killed and i was yeah. like oh shit this feels better than anything i've done in the last 5 years it was undeniable and so i spent a year kind of traveling around america just to fall in love with stand up again you that's know? so fascinating so so you did stand up here it went well and you're like oh this is what i should be doing and i mean you had grown up in india yeah. you'd moved here when you were like high school college age i came here for college i went to galesburg illinois yeah. um and then went back immediately once my visa expired but i i'm obsessed with this idea and 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 i you know this year i went to london and and paris and iceland and i hope to do more in 2023 where i inter- perform internationally but i love the idea that a joke can unite human beings of course just it can. people in yeah. general yeah and it's and it's it really impressive to me when i watch your specials that they're so funny and the and this is not not you know you you weren't born into american culture you moved here and so mm-hmm. your stuff plays here and plays there does it play better in one or the other i don't think it uh, it matters anymore no? in a weird way and i think that's the beauty of like the netflixes and the youtubes right like i, I think what also helped is like there's a local palatable version of indian culture wherever you go in the world and now that's done to death you know those five yes. indian stories that you guys have heard you know brown boy will he be able to be with the white girl because the parents are unhappy right uh, they came over with one suitcase in dreams sure. uh, you know i think you've seen every version right. of those stories you've seen the archetypes you've seen the archetypes and you're like now we need new indian stories and we need authentic indian stories that represent the billion and the modern india and so now when when i perform for americans it's kind of more important to be authentically indian Yeah. And it was before. Yeah, you say that in your special you're like like you Americans think that because you filmed it in New York, yeah. you Americans think that we talk like this but actually we're more like I'm speaking right now. Yeah, Mumbai is one of the, the Indians here are far more conservative. The than Indian it, right, the Indians who moved to America are more conservative than actually the than um, Indians, Indians in home. Mumbai. Yeah, for wow. sure. Mumbai is a party city. Kids, <laughs> kids in Mumbai are getting drunk, doing drugs, having fun. You know, huh. hooking up—that's Mumbai, right? Oh, that's fascinating. Yeah, but but you don't see that, right? It's never represented in culture over here or in movies over here. We're always sort of this well, model minority. Monsoon wedding. It's monsoon wedding or or really hardworking guy. Right, right, uh, right. We're given a lot of credit for all being really hardworking. Right, no, we're not that fucking hardworking. Like, right, you know. Or we're on a boat with the tiger. Oh, we're on a boat for a time. long time. <laughs> for a very long time. <laughs> and it's not a tiger again. <laughs> like what a fucking letdown. <laughs> like the whole movie this tiger wasn't there. What? Spoiler alert <laughs> on Life of Pi. It's funny because Mark Forrester was on the podcast the other day, and he he said this thing that I think is is great, which is which is as as artists we always have to 
just destroy our our own egos when, yeah. and when we start again on the next project yeah the, i i go to the comedy cellar and i i see comics who most people do not know sure. who, are, who are 25 years in i'm 16 years in right yeah. and they're assassins and you're terrified yeah. to follow them and i think that's a healthy goddamn feeling you know <laughs> what i mean and yeah. and also i like following them and and i like so being I do too. and i like being somebody who's hard to follow too you know? i agree i'm with you i love both of you yeah you and i were talking backstage the other day about how uh it's fun to be at the comedy cellar cuz you feel like you're playing playing tennis with the best tennis players in the world and, and that's the only better. way you get better yeah 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 and there's no sympathy there's no no and there's no back padding either you know no no, and there's oddly no real uh, over recognition for being famous. Like I, I followed oh, no, Ray yeah. Romano and Chris Rock and all kinds of people there, and you know the audience goes crazy for two or three minutes, and then yeah. they're like, "All right, what do you got?" Yeah, like we've seen a lot of good people tonight. What do you have? Yeah, but some people are coasting on that, not just on pop-ins, but on full runs. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh, for sure. Like I've seen. People milk the fame thing for six minutes, seven yeah. minutes, eight minutes, but you can't fool an audience. Why do you? Because you you have so many specials. I mean, I want to say you have four or five. This Netflix is my specials. fourth. Yeah, this is your fourth. Yeah. Why do you? Why do you want to create more? Why? I kind of have a different view on specials that I think a comedy special is a piece of cinema. For the first time in a comic's life. Your box is next to Scorsese's box <laughs> yeah. on on Netflix, and you get to compete for people's attention. Yeah, and I think that stand up gives us a better shot at dynamics than an average film does. So many things have to come together in a film for it to have good dynamics. Yeah, in stand up, it's such an easy fix. So you have to make sure that it's filmic and that it tells a story yeah. and that it has a structure and that there's surprises and yeah. silliness and discomfort. And yours, I'm not going to give away any of your surprises, but yours has surprises. It, your it your has recent a... special has really nice <laughs> twists in it. Oh, this is this is something I think about all the time, which is, I think comedy is at in a completely unique moment in time, yeah. in the sense that there are a group of people who are game for sort of anything goes in comedy. Sure, you can say the most uh, you know reductive thing doesn't matter. Yeah, and there's a group of people who go. I don't like generalizations. I don't like joking about stereotypes. I don't yeah. like this. Like that. All those are valid. I say that and thank God yeah. for jokes. All of those feelings are valid. Yeah. You, you, yeah. You're allowed to feel that way. It's fine. It's all fine. You have comedic generalizations yeah. about Indian people. They're very funny yeah. and make me laugh. Yeah. Like, for example, you go like, you go, there's part of me that, you know, some people think I'm too Indian. Some people think I'm yeah. too American. Yeah. And then you go, but, you know. I'd prefer an Indian doctor. Yeah. You know, yeah. something, something yeah. like that. And it's, sure. And yeah. when I, I'm laughing and I'm going, well, it is a generalization. Yeah. Yeah. Where do you where do you stand on in your own comedy generalizations mm -hmm. versus stereotypes? I think if you're going to do a generalization, you have to follow it up with some sort of agreeable authenticity. <laughs> Otherwise, you're screwed. You know? What do you mean by that? So, okay, if you look at that joke specifically, right? It is um I um, I would never use a white doctor. I want an Indian doctor. Yeah. Now that's a generalization, purely. Of course. Right. I would let an Indian engineer treat me before I let a white doctor treat me. Yes. Yes. Right. Getting closer, getting warmer. I don't want curative medicine. I want cheap, efficient solutions now. Oh. All right. Far more specific in terms of. So at least I'm doing a little bit of homework 
coming from sort of a general space. Right. And then get into like a very specific engineer joke about a belt that was invented, that an engineer invented in India. Right. So in India, somebody invented a belt that burps you every five minutes. And so that's how I work. It does what? It burps you every five minutes. Really? Yeah. So that's <laughs> that's where the joke winds up, right? So <laughs> I did not follow that part of it. Yeah. So th- I'm I'm trying to get really specific with that. Right. If you, in other words, if you had just gone with the generalization, in and then some left ways, it there, yeah, yeah. In no. some ways, it's a little easy. Yeah. But then you got to kind of zoom in, zoom in, zoom in, zoom yeah, in. Yeah, yeah. So you show you've done the work, right? Because you're not going to come to America and not have Americans be like, oh, there's a lot of Indian doctors. It's something we know. Right. You know, you just, well, it's like, where, yeah, exactly. Where's the turn? Yeah. Where's the turn? How are you going to surprise me? Yeah. Because anybody can make a generalization. Anybody can say a stereotype. Yeah. It's, the easy, it's the easiest thing you could do. Yeah. But it's like, I'm going to use that and then we're going to go somewhere else. And, and I also, yeah, I, I like subverting a stereotype. I love doing that too. So I do like talking about a stereotype and then switching it a little bit. You know, like th- there's a, a a gun control bit in the special where, where I say, you know, now most people who watch my stand-up and, and assume I have a political ideology that is slightly more left or liberal would be like, this guy is against guns. Yeah. And I am vehemently against guns, right? But so I talk about America, I talk about gun control, and I'd be like, I worry about being shot but I want to be friends with one guy <laughs> who has a gun. <laughs> right, right. So, and, and that's a very specifically Indian thing. So I like taking that American stereotype, for instance, yes. and subverting it a little bit, you know? And that also speaks to, and when, when you want to get into the weeds on generalizations, sometimes with comedy, with yeah. jokes, by going personal, you're making an audience realize a generalization that doesn't exist. Yeah. So, so in other words, like you make that joke about you, you'd like to have one friend who has a gun. Yeah. And it's like people, a bunch of people are laughing. Well, maybe some other people think that. <laughs> yeah, but, but I think I'm also kind of figuring it out because there's also rules that are set for stand-up in America that don't apply anywhere else in the world. Oh, I know. And if you, if you start thinking of this as a global game, it's a weird one. Like I'm, I'm still early on that journey. Like I haven't figured it out yet. I'm, I'm, I'm hoping to. I feel like I'm around the corner. Well, but like one of those rules would be, I, could, <laughs> you could do an impression of my voice, but I could not <laughs> could do not an impression do... <laughs> of your voice. And that has a history. Yeah, a lot of that stuff has history. You know, like for, for example, the Apu movie. You know. Uh, the problem with Apu. I saw it, about, but I, about I can tell you that, that a billion people don't feel the way about that movie that a few million people of the Indian diaspora here feel. How do you feel about it? Uh, about the Apu yeah. accent? Yeah. I couldn't care less. Couldn't care less. Interesting. I know I know more people who sound like Apu than I do. Uh, you know, I hear an Indian boy from here speak in an American accent yeah. about Apu. His accent's weirder to me than Apu. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because to right. me, that's... That's a, a strange or unfamiliar sounding accent. And if you want to go deep into the dynamics of it, he's a, I think Akash had this in his special or something, but you know, he's an immigrant guy, runs a business, he's successful. Yeah. Should it have been, have been voiced by Hank Azaria? Maybe not. Right. But why do you kill a character? It was a great story. <laughs> it's really funny because, you know, Zarna, we're mutual, mutually yeah. friends with Zarna Garg and I love Zarna. And a lot of times she'll say something to me, and I'll relay it to somebody else. Yeah. I don't do her voice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, 
And when I tell other stories about my other friends, I do do their voice. You should do her voice. What will happen? What do you think will happen? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what the, I, I, I feel like, I feel like a lot of people are like me where we're not sure what the etiquette is. But do you think it would matter that you did the voice or do you think it would matter more what you said in the voice? Because nine out of 10 people who would do the voice are saying, like you said, extremely reductive things. Oh yeah, of course. Right? But if you did the voice and it was a surprise or it was uh, astute, yeah. would it matter? I, I don't think it would. No, no, you're probably right. And certainly Zarna wouldn't care. I mean, Zarna, Zarna wouldn't care. Zarna's, Most Indians wouldn't care. That's interesting, yeah. So who's left? Five college kids and two <laughs> publications. <laughs> Fuck it. Who have, who have <laughs> you know? huge social media followings. <laughs> Well, yeah, that was that was one of the things that was interesting too about the you you acknowledge sort of the punching down concept, and you're I like think, that is that is really just a Western comedy concept. I, I think when you again get into the weeds with privilege, there are barometers to measure privilege that is consistent, and these barometers have been set by media and and discourse. And I don't think of privilege in that manner. I think of privilege as something far more volatile. that yeah. changes on a weekly basis. Yeah. Uh, and that could be here today and gone tomorrow. And uh, it's far more intersectional, I think, than the West views privilege. If you what, think- What do you mean by that? Because you say that in the special, like in other words, one day you could be rich, the other day, you, next day you could be poor kind of thing? Is that what you mean? Yeah, or it could be taken away from you for uh, not a cancellation or not a mess up. Right, or, or you could be hit by a bus and you could be hospitalized and, and you can walk the rest of your life. Yeah, and uh, I, I, I think at some level, it is the knowledge of a punch up or a punch down serves a comedian better, but the call out of a punch up or a punch down, I feel like nine times out of 10, makes the audience member feel better about themselves. You know, the joke in the right. in the special is, we're all just calling out our own privilege before other people call out our privilege yes. so that we can feel better about enjoying our privilege, right? Yes. And so I, I do think it's it's exercising it's so that demon, you know? Uh, uh, that is such a beautifully economic <laughs> joke. That is a, a, a beautiful several words explaining a concept. Yeah, so I do think that's what it is. Jimmy Carr has this really interesting thing where he talks about when you uh, call out someone yeah. for punching down, mm -hmm. you're actually making a judgment on what is down. Yeah. Who who, who died and made you the decider yeah. of what's up and down? Yeah. You know, I mean, he's interesting because he's also, I don't think he's uncancelable, but he has a certain amount of escape velocity. He's uncancelable. Right. But, but with intelligence retained. Oh, I so smart. Which is, a, I haven't seen that combination very often. I, sometimes I think most people who are uncancelable really go at, at unintelligent things. And I think Jimmy Carr kind of retains that intelligence. And well, he's very thoughtful. Because I think he's a deeply feeling person. And I think he doesn't want to hurt people, but he yeah. understands the healing power of jokes yeah. when they work well. I also think that, how do you think of a comedy show? Do you think of it as your hour with them or their hour with you? It's for them. Exactly. Yeah, that's right? how I think of it. But I think it's a, an, an easy comedian temptation to think of it as your hour with them. Yeah. You know, because I've worked really hard to get my hour with them. It's not about them. No. They got babysitters. They saved yeah, for weeks. They, uh, they put a lot on the table to come and see you, you know. And if you think of it in that sense, when that flip happens... 
I think your entire comedic perspective changes. This is a really important point. And I think you and I have this in common. I had a, I had a flip. I didn't, I think in my 20s, yeah. I was more immature and I thought it was about me. Mm -hmm. And then in my 30s, when I started doing these solo shows, Sleepwalk With Me and My Girlfriend's Boyfriend, I started to see that it would affect the audience yeah. in this way. I would go, oh, oh God, it's about them. That's who it's about. Did you have a, a flip? I, it's two college kids in my front row. Yeah. And it, this is a true story. I, my front row is expensive. It's, it's about 5,000 rupees. Wow. And my last row is 500 what, rupees. What's 5,000 rupees? Uh, Roughly. I'm bad at math. Couple hundred divide bucks. Divide by 80. Yeah. So, you know, but notionally it's a lot more. Okay. You know, if, if yeah. you think about what that means. As 80 a bucks, gun, yeah. 100 bucks. Yeah. It's, it's expensive. Probably notionally feels like about two, 300 bucks. Okay. Oh, right? wow. Okay. Um, and these two kids were there, right? In the front row. And I try and keep my last row 500 bucks, which is like 10 bucks or whatever. So okay. that so that I get a range of people in a in a large room. And I was being an asshole. And, and I was like, hey, two kids in the front row. I guess dad bought the tickets. Right? Or mom bought the tickets. What industrialist is your dad? Or is your dad a VIP, et cetera, et cetera? And they're like, no, we saved for this ticket. Oh. And I'm like, really, for how long? And then one kid goes, we saved for four months. We're in college. And one kid goes, we skipped lunch. Oh my gosh. You know? And I'm like, what the, what the hell does that mean? And they're like, lunch in the canteen of, of the college is between 80 and 100 rupees. We skipped lunch wow. to come and see you. And I'm like, I will never be less than 200% yeah. ever again for the audience. Yeah. I will send them home flying on a goddamn cloud. <laughs> yeah. You know, that is my job. Yeah. They skip lunch, you know? Yeah. No, I mean, it's, it's a privilege to be able to perform in front of a group of people and, and, they took a lot to be there. I mean, I always tell the story about the old man in the pool where someone came up to me in Los Angeles after the show and she said it was watching the show. I felt like I was with my dad who's no longer with yeah. us. And it's like, well, if you have the opportunity to connect with people and give people that, like you should really strongly consider doing that as yeah. opposed to making it about yourself. and Or even letting the noise dilute your performance by even 10%. Yeah. I do believe that if you, and I'll go down a comments rabbit hole, I'll go down a, you know, sure. a, a hate, you know, scroll or whatever, yeah. et cetera, because comedians tend to fixate. But then I'll remember that if I'm at 90% and not at 100% for those two kids, because of some random person who's never going to come and see me, yeah. I'm unprofessional. Working It Out is brought to you in part by Thrive Market, which is an online grocery store that specializes in healthy, organic, sustainable products. You go to thrivemarket.com, you take a quiz. Quizzes are fun, right? How about a quiz that helps you eat healthier? You answer a few questions about the way you shop for groceries, and then you got a whole customized selection of items. It's tailored specifically to your lifestyle, your favorite foods, your dietary preferences, all that kind of stuff. Uh, here at the office, it's our go-to for all of our grocery and household essentials. When you join Thrive Market, you are helping a family in need with their one-for-one -one membership matching program. You join, they give. 
Join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order plus a free $60 gift. Go to thrivemarket.com slash for 30% off your first order plus a free $60 gift. That's T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash thrivemarket.com slash Support for Working It Out comes from Allbirds. You know I love Allbirds. My character on Billions wears Allbirds. The Mike Birbiglia character in my last two Broadway shows and specials, Where's Allbirds? I, in my real life, walking around Brooklyn, wear Allbirds. Warmer temps mean super light styles. This is a new thing for them. Meet the super light collection. Allbirds' lightest ever shoes, now in fresh colors, a lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit, makes these some of the most packable styles ever I love these shoes. I just throw them in my backpack. My wife makes fun of me. Jenny makes fun of me because I essentially pack nothing for trips. I go one backpack. Allbirds make the cut. Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit allbirds.com and use code WIO. That's for working it out. WIO for a free pair of socks with a purchase of 48 bucks or more. That's allbirds.com. A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S.com. Code WIO. That's for working it out. This is the thing we do called the slow round. Okay. Do you uh, remember an inauthentic version of yourself? Is my Bollywood career, no? <laughs> <laughs> Mine too, of course. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I. Yeah, I, I remember. Um, arriving at an event and caring who arrived first. Oh. I was, uh, you know, four men were in this sort of event and I just remember going, tell me when that guy has arrived That's and, so and I will go after. And then you kind of catch yourself and you're like, why does it make a goddamn difference when who arrives? Yeah. What matters is how you make them feel, right? When you're yeah. there. But I remember caring about that at some point when I was like 28 or 29. So, yeah. That's so great. <laughs> no, I love, I think it's so great that you're admitting that. Because I think that so often in comedy, I think the, the great thing is when people, when a comedian can admit that they were wrong about something. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That that's a great one. That's ninety percent of my content. Is admitting <laughs> that, <laughs> that I was wrong about stuff. What is your role in your family that you grew up in? Like, what 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 was your what was the dynamic of your of your folks and you? I'm the get it done guy. <laughs> okay. Everybody else gets that. to fall apart. I get it done. That's interesting. So when uh, when the dog dies, you can all go into your room and cry. I'll uh, I'll bury the dog, you know. Wow. And when the, you know, when the grandparents go and all of that stuff, I'll get the pundit. I'll organize the the last rites, etc. I'm the. I, I may not be as comforting or as expressive as the rest of the family, but you'll call me, and I'll get it done. Can you describe a, a school lunch from growing up? Yeah. Uh, I remember. 
when it was your birthday in school, you got this dirty pineapple pastry. Really? Yeah, it's terrible. <laughs> and, and, and this is like a, in an old British military academy. Yeah. So you're up in the north, yeah. and, you know, everything's frozen. So it's hard as hell on the inside. Yeah. And then this soft pineapple uh, vanilla cream that leaves a layer on your tongue after you're done eating it. And a pineapple, which is synthetic pineapple. It isn't really pineapple. Oh, really? You know, like those cherries, yeah, yeah, those sure. fake cherries that you get? Sure. So I remember that. Oh, and wow. I remember no matter whose birthday it was, like fucking eight of us cutting little slivers of that and giving it out. Do you have... It's so funny because when Hassan Minaj was on the show, mm -hmm. he was saying he still has resentment towards British government and he didn't even grow up in India, <laughs> but that his parents don't. Yeah. That his his parents sort of like honor the crown or whatever. Oh, I really? Even, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and he's always like, why, why? You know, like, do I, you, how, what's your relationship with it? I want more discourse about it. Oh, interesting. I, I could care less about the British royal family, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. But, I feel like India footed the bill for a large industrial rev revolution and for a lot of that to happen. And you need to talk about it. I, right. I want to see it in more books. Yeah. I want to see it in more movies. I think that there's a, a healthy discourse around, not reparations, but slavery in America's past. There's a healthy conversation around yeah. it. There's not enough conversation around what happened to India. That's yes. how I feel. I, I agree with that. Yeah. Do you remember a strange neighbor or like family friend growing up? Uh, yeah, I remember my my grandparents were both Buddhist leaders. Okay. And so they were part of this chanting group called Soka Gakkai. And what that meant was my house was always full of 20 or 30 people that were waiting to see my grandparents. Oh, wow. And for their counsel, right? So I'm just this kid, like I, I got, uh, I left boarding school when I was 13 and I came to live with my grandparents. Oh. And my parents didn't come back from Africa till I was like 17. So I had four years of puberty really living with two very old people who were wow. Buddhist leaders. So there were things you could do in the house, there were things you couldn't do in the house. Yeah. It was always very quiet. There was always chanting happening. Yeah. The whole house smelled of incense, yeah. you know, uh, and old carpeting. And I just remember these a lot of people that came into that house really needed to be in that house. <laughs> you know like what I mean? They needed help. They needed help. And so I just remember this one lady who I saw over the course of two or three years looking younger every time I met her. Fascinating. And then at some point, my, my grandfather's name is Baba. And I looked at Baba and I'm like, where's that lady? And he's like, uh, she's never coming back. And I'm like, why? And he's like, she's happy. Oh, wow. So I'm like, that's the journey with my grandparents, right? That they make you younger and younger and younger. And uh, hopefully you never need to see them again. That's amazing. Yeah. Do, you, do you feel like your, your inclination in comedy is healing the way that your grandparents were healing people? I haven't thought about it that much. And, and, and I wouldn't put that, like that feels like really building myself up. And, and I would- Just let me do it. <laughs> That's what I'm here for. But I do want a sense of elation when you leave. Yeah. Like I want two things, all right? One, there's a moment in a comedy show or in a musical concert, etc., where the artist on stage and the audience both kind of go, <sighs> you know, and it's the sort of a, I'm so fucking glad we did this. Yeah. You know? 
And when it's magic, it happens at the same time. Yeah. You know, the the performer feels it at exactly the same time. Like it's that one big applause break from, from something so unexpected yeah. that was unorchestrated. Yeah. And it's completely spontaneous. And you both kind of go, oh, this is it's good to be here right now, yeah. isn't it? In this moment, I want to orchestrate that once a show. And when you walk from my show to your car, I want you to be flying. Yeah, yeah. Like, that's what I want. When you, so you were away from your parents from 13 to 17. From seven to 17. Seven to 17. I went to boarding school when I was seven and a half years old. And parents were in Africa and I was in India. And why did they go to Africa? My dad was making tomato pulp and pre-cut potatoes. As, as sexy as that. <laughs> as that wow. sounds, yeah. And then you went to boarding school and then lived with your grandparents. Do you think all that's tied up in why you're a comedian? Well, my grand my granddad has a really interesting story. He started out as a policeman, yeah, and then became a government servant, and then was the Indian ambassador to Bhutan. Then took over Air India, which is India's national airline. Then received something called the Padma Shri, which is like our knighthood. It's the highest civilian honor you can wow. get. And I tell dick jokes, but you know, <laughs> and then became this Buddhist leader. And so I grew up in a house with this man and. We have a very international family that are kind of foreign service people, etc. And, yeah. and so when I was between 17 and 18, 16 to 18, I would go to the airport three times a week to pick up somebody and drop somebody. Oh, wow. Because my grandparents' house was this open house yeah. of people who needed help flying in or yeah. cousins and this and that. So I, I spent three nights a week going to the airport. And here were all these people who looked different and they smelled different and they had different clothes and they had different, they looked like they had seen the world. That's the largest influence of my life is just being at the airport going like someday I need to be the guy going to the airport, you know, instead of the guy waiting for people at the airport. That's interesting. Like, what do you mean by the person going to the airport? I want to be the guy arriving or leaving rather than the guy waiting for them. Like I remember, you know, New Delhi in the summer picking up my Cousins who had just flown in from America via Frankfurt, Germany. Yeah. And they had jackets on, you know, and these jackets had some sort of a German logo on yeah. them. And because they hadn't adjusted and it was still cold on the flight or they had yeah. a sweater on. And then they would come in and kind of take that sweater off. And they would talk about how Delhi smelled different. But what I could never tell them was like, they smelled different to Delhi, you know, like right. to, to you, to me, like yeah. their, their luggage and their jacket. Yeah. You could smell it in the car. And yeah. I'm like, that's what Germany smells like, I guess. Wow. And I want to go. Like America has a very distinct smell that nobody talks about. Can you describe it? It's detergent and carpeting. <laughs> that's what it is. <laughs> The, we were over, we're yeah, over your, your whole country chlorinated. smells of detergent and carpeting. Yeah, no, it's true. I think that's right. Detergent and, and carpeting. Carpeting, oh my gosh. Carpeting is the hugest smell in my childhood. Yeah. All I think of in my childhood is carpet. Yeah, but colleges, airports, any public spaces smell like carpeting in America. Yeah. What the hell's going on? <laughs> <laughs> it's great. Um, what has anyone? What's the best piece of advice someone's given you in your life that you used? Um, tangibly, it's something that I do uh, with the people who manage me. Like I got a really good piece of showbiz advice. Would that count? Yeah. Um, 
they're like, all the people you work with, um, sit them down once a year at the top of the year and just yeah. be like, all right, we got to do three things we deserve and one thing we don't deserve this oh. year. And then just leave them alone for a week. <laughs> and let okay. them think about it. Okay. And then let them come back and tell you what they think you deserve and what they think you don't deserve. And okay. it's a really good eye-opener into how they feel about what you're doing. Wow. I'm going to break this apart because it's a really interesting idea to me. So so in other words, like your coworkers, the people who are part of your team or yeah. creating whatever you're doing, in your case, your manager, like what are you're saying to them, tell me what you think we three, deserve to do together. We deserve yeah. to do this year. Yeah. And then one thing that maybe is like outrageous, like a little bit outside of what- Our league, maybe we're not out of there our league. yet. Yeah. yeah. Like, so, so if it was New York, for instance, it's like, okay, do we deserve uh, Radio City Radio Music City Hall? Radio City Music Hall, yeah. Do we not deserve Madison Square Garden? Yeah. yeah. You know, but if somebody went to you and they were like, we think you deserve the beacon, but you, do, you don't deserve Radio City Music Hall yet. And you think you're there. You just know how forward they're thinking. Yeah. You know? Oh, that's really interesting. But, do you, and do you give no hints? I give no hints, but I make it a we thing. Right. You know, it's never a me thing. Like, yeah. I'll never be like, you tell me what I deserve. It's, yeah. what do you think we deserve to do together? Would, yeah. you, would you like to make a TV show together? Would you like to go to Japan this year? I've never toured Japan. Yeah. Think about it. Because then why can't I fulfill some dream of theirs jointly with them? You know? What's the best piece of relationship advice anyone's ever given you that you used? Um... If you make her laugh, the fight's over. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know. Well done. That's that's I think, it. I think that's that's a really good one. Right? Put that on the wall. Working it out is supported by Squarespace. I am so thrilled that Squarespace is a sponsor of this podcast. We use them all the time. It's just an amazing site for building websites, building your brand, growing your business online. One of the things Squarespace offers is uh, email campaigns. You can stand out in any inbox with Squarespace email campaigns, collect email subscribers, and convert them into loyal customers. Start with an email template and customize it by applying your brand ingredients like site colors and your logo. Built-in analytics measure the impact of every send. Go to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, head to squarespace.com slash to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com slash to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Working It Out is brought to you in part by Helix Mattresses. Helix Mattresses is one of our original sponsors. We all love Helix Mattresses. I just love the convenience of it. Showed up in a box, took it out, it's ready to go. Uh, the temperature control of it's great. There's certain mattresses that make you hot or sweaty, but it's a very temperature controlled mattress. It's one of the things. Enhanced cooling features to keep you from overheating at night. And it's exactly what it does. I think it's kind of amazing. There are models with memory foam layers to provide optimal pressure relief if you sleep on your side. There are models with a more responsive foam to cradle your body for essential support in stomach and back sleeping positions. People, are you with me? 
Get your best sleep while Helix is offering 20% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners. Go to helixsleep.com slash burbigs. It's their best offer yet. It won't last long. With Helix, better sleep starts now. No, now. Okay, so this is this is a section called From the Notebook. And okay. this is just sort of new new things that I've written down and jotted down. All right. One thing is I don't spend a lot of time on my appearance because I feel like that that game is over and I've lost. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not gonna suddenly win by wearing a nice outfit at the post-game dinner. This is true, completely true. I didn't know you could buy clothing that fits your body until like last year. <laughs> Like, and and now I'm obsessed with it. I love clothing that fits your body because it changes the narrative. It's no longer, um, Mike, um, your your body doesn't fit into those pants. It's like, Mike, your ass is so perfect, a tailor sculpted pantaloons to drape over it <laughs> like a silk tarp. I love that. And you can, I mean, the two things that it sends me to... Uh, does this age change? Oh, that's interesting. You know, like the the age where you, uh, you know, where you decide you're done with the fashion game. Right. Because right? now it's 43, 44 years old. Yeah. Did it used to be like 26? You know what I mean? Where guys like, I'm 26 and I don't give a fuck what I wear yeah, anymore. You're right. You're right. That and that That's worth exploring is this idea of like, of like when I was in my 20s, I really genuinely didn't care at all. Because yeah. I think in your 20s, I think your genes generally give you a lot yeah. more. Yeah. You know, it's like you, you you have a lot going for yeah. you that's for free. Yeah. <laughs> in your 40s, <laughs> 40s, things start to fall away. And you're like, uh, maybe I need a hat. <laughs> <laughs> but also, as your friend, I think the place that I go to, when, like if I see a 43-year-old man or a 44-year-old man suddenly come to me in fitted clothes, I know. my first thought is, how's the marriage? <laughs> oh, no, I think that's absolutely true. Right? It's, it's... So you think you've just found fashion, <laughs> but you are putting out unhappiness yeah, in yeah, the yeah, world. Yeah, what am I doing? What's going on? What's you're just the... worrying well, everybody around yeah, so you. That, I like this. I like where you're going with this, because this is what, <laughs> when I work with Ira Glass on Stories for This American Life, he's always like, okay, what's the story and what's the story under the story? Yeah. And that's, I love that you're saying that. It's like, what is, is that a deeper unhappiness? Is it a, deep, is it a deeper in, insecurity? Is yeah. like, what is, what's under that? That's great. It's fantastic. <laughs> um, do you have anything that you're working on that's sort of half, half uh, uh, I, done or? It's kind of what I was talking about as well, where I was like, I think if you put, like I'd written this down, but I'm like, Young people in America are very excited about telling their story and speaking their truth. And it's because you're given choice early and tools later. But I feel like Indian kids are given tools first and choice later. Oh. So like if you put an American 20-year-old and an Indian 20-year-old in the same room, the American 20-year-old would be like, I'm a... Uh, pansexual vegan juggler. Yeah. But the Indian kid would just be like, I'm exhausted. I'm exhausted. <laughs> like I've been studying for 26 years and I'm 20, you know? Right. And now is when I get choice. So we arrive right. at choice much later in our lives. Oh, that's interesting. And perhaps just as, as you guys start speaking your truth is when we start getting comfortable telling lies. <laughs> you know? Right. So, 
So I think it's a reverse kind of a childhood thing. So that's just what I'm thinking about. I wonder like in in India, because certainly like in America, like so many things right now are identity-based. Yeah. Um, like you're saying, I'm pansexual, I'm this, I'm this. Is in India, do people, is that part of the dialogue? I think it is, but, but I think, I mean, we work our kids really, really, really hard. Oh, is that right? So I think... College represents freedom for kids here. Yeah. And I think the years right after college represent freedom for kids yeah. in, in India. So you find a lot of young kids just joining the workforce who are exhausted because yeah, they've yeah. been studying yes. so hard for yes. 21 years. And then they join the workforce and go nuts in their first two, first two years, which you get out of the way in your first two years of college. Yeah. But Indian college is very hard. Well, yeah, maybe, I mean, this is, this is a loose tag, but it's yeah. like, you know, I'm a pansexual, this, 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 the, the yeah. thing, the American kid says this, the American kid says to the Indian kid, like, what are you? Yeah. And, um, and the Indian kid says, what are the options? <laughs> <laughs> what's A, what's B, what's yeah. C, what's D? Nice. I will get this right. <laughs> the last thing we do on the show okay. is called working it out for a cause and basically if you have a non-profit that you think does a good job we contribute to it we link to it in the show notes i can look it up online right now all right uh i would say uh there is a charity called voice of stray dogs so they just do really really good work with feeding street dogs and getting them sterilized and uh sending them medication etc so oh, this looks fantastic one of the largest no-kill dog sanctuary and hospitals uh, with 8,000 uh, plus life-critical resources and hundreds of resident dogs uh, in Bangalore, India. Yep. But we look for dogs all across the country. That's fantastic. Well, yeah, I'll man. contribute to them. Thank you. And we'll link to them in the show notes. And Veer, this is thrilling. Well, we're going to yeah. have you back. I'm going to see you at the Comedy Cellar. You're done, man. Hopefully, it's the beginning of a long <laughs> friendship. Working it out because it's not done. We're working it out, cause there's no... Veerdas' new special is called Landing. It's on Netflix now. You can follow him on Instagram, at Veerdas, V-I-R-D-A-S. I am at the Mesa Art Center uh, and, uh, in Salt Lake City at the Kingsbury Hall in Utah, March 17th. Our producers of Working It Out are myself, along with Peter Salamone and Joseph Berbiglia, associate producer Mabel Lewis, consulting producer Seth Barish, assistant producer Gary Simons and Lucy Jones, sound mix by Ben Cruz, supervising engineer Kate Belinsky. Special thanks to Marissa Hurwitz and Josh Upfall, my consigliere's Mike Berkowitz. Special thanks to Jack Antonoff and Bleachers for their music. Special thanks to Jay Hope Stein. Her book, Little Astronaut, is in your local bookstore. You can follow her on Instagram at jhopestein. Special thanks, as always, to our daughter, Una, who built the original radio fort made of pillows. Thanks most of all to you who are listening. Tell your friends, even tell your enemies. It's Valentine's Day. Uh, you know, of course, you'll, you'll maybe you'll give your Valentine something. But maybe you'll send a Valentine to someone who you don't like. <laughs> and it'll be... It'll be uh, it'll be valid to go. Wow, I'm so surprised that Hank sent me a Valentine. And you'll open it up, and it'll say, "You know, I think you'd really enjoy this podcast. Mike Wrigley is working out. It's very romantic." Thanks, everybody. We'll, we'll see you next time. We're working it out. <laughs> <laughs>